Welcome back to Word Balloon, the comic book conversation show. John Suntress here, another great show for you today. Uh, we're going to start things off with Mark Draco because his IDW Love is Love anthology comes out next week. It is a wonderful tribute uh, to the memories of uh, the Orlando shooting casualties and uh, survivors and extended families. I mean, that incident really screwed up a lot of people's lives and cost a lot of people's lives. And uh, Mark did something positive. He got the comics community behind him and has come up with this incredible anthology. It's a pleasure to talk to him about this book on part one of Word Balloon. Then we welcome back Ryan Brown. It's great to see Ryan back. Um, I went to Four Star Studios Live and had literally a sit-down conversation with Ryan on their couch. And we just talked about a few things. Among them, his new image book coming out in January, Curse Words, with Charles Soule. We talked to Charles about that a couple weeks ago. But also check in on God Hates Astronauts. And as always with Ryan, kind of address that creator-owned, self-published comics world, doing it through Kickstarter, doing it through Image, the various avenues that Ryan has found success, and his observations. I think he's one of the guys who's really cracked the code on how to uh, publish creator-owned comics you know, Ryan wasn't a really big name, but he, he made his name around the comics community and um, was has been able to become a professional cartoonist without ever having to go to DC and Marvel. And I think uh, he has a great story, and I'm glad that he always shares it with us and uh, has new insight each time we talk. So uh, enjoy that portion of the conversation. Ryan Brown, and uh, in part two of Word Balloon. Guess what? No sponsor today, and the reason why is uh, I really hope you get behind Love is Love uh, because all the proceeds go to the families and survivors of uh, the Orlando shooting and extended uh, friends if they don't have if they didn't have family I think uh, it's a really good cause and uh, the book is only nine ninety nine there are digital um, extras that are not in the published book and it comes out next Wednesday the twenty eighth and I just think it, it deserves your time and attention so. Uh, why don't you uh, contribute to the cause? I, you'll hear the uh, list of uh, creators. Uh, Mark and I go through it. I want to point out, uh, because Mark is writing really one of my favorite DC books right now, and that's The Death of Hawkman, which is a new spin on the Thanagarian uh, Ron conflict, and uh, it stars Adam Strange in Hawkman. I think the book is great. And uh, we did talk about it, but unfortunately my old laptop, I was still using it and hadn't bought a new one, which I now have. And uh, it was really screwing up interviews, and it's become a real big problem to the point where I had to buy a new laptop. So um, what did survive was the first part of my conversation with Mark. And, um, God, we had so many troubles and misstarts with that old laptop that I was glad to get this, you know, clean take. And it's all his talk about love is love. So I will have Mark back on um, in the weeks ahead to talk more about some of the other things he's got brewing because he's got a cool 2017 lined out for him. So uh, until then... Here is Mark Andreco talking about Love is Love from Image or from IDW and DC Comics now on Word Balloon. Happy to welcome Mark Andreco back to Word Balloon and uh, not only because I enjoy talking to him. He was one of my original guests uh, going back 11 years ago, but uh, we're we're going to talk about a few things, but primarily I I did want to talk about his new anthology that is coming out in December. Uh, it's a joint venture between IDW and DC and really the whole comics community in response to uh, the the tragedy that happened in the summer. But Mark, I will let you explain the book, Love is Love, and what it's all about. Love is Love came about from the Orlando massacre at the Pulse nightclub in June. 
I remember waking up the next the morning after it happened and seeing how many people were killed and how many people were profoundly injured and feeling physically ill. And my instant reaction reflexively was the comics community needs to do something because, you know, as a child of the 80s of We Are the World and Comic Relief and that sort of thing and Live Aid, when tragedy happens, artists have a, a, almost a moral contract to react to it and to create art. And, you know, growing up with things like We Are the World and that sort of thing, it's a way to be a catharsis for the, the artists creating the work. It's a way for a shared communal outpouring of love for these, these ter- terrible events. And it's a way to allow people to contribute to help others, but also have a, something that memorializes them. You know, it would be very easy to just write a check to the Red Cross and kind of compartmentalize and move on from this tragedy because we live in a world where the news cycle is every 35 seconds, it seems. And so it's very much like finding Dory. Every 30 seconds, you have to yeah. start over again. And and this should hurt. This should be something that makes us sad and makes us ache. And we should remember this. This is not something to move on from because this is just was just the latest in a string of these sort of horrible tragedies that are utterly avoidable. And the book is is political in the sense that it's about this event, but it's really not political. It's not about, I have my issues with the treatment of the mentally ill in this country and the insane lack of gun laws, but this is about love. This is about everyone should love someone and be loved in return and don't be threatened by people who are in love and we should celebrate that. And, you know, all good art in the face of tragedy and oppression is defiant. And there's a, there's a really great defiant streak in this about keeping dancing and, and not not hiding. And unfortunately, you know, as a member of the gay community, we have a history of having to deal with this, whether it goes back, goes back to Stonewall riots in the 60s, late 60s or the AIDS crisis with ACT UP in the 80s. You know, I, I was a teenager when, when, you know, when people would go into the hospital with a cough and two weeks later be dead. You know, the generation of kids now don't realize that that millions of lives were lost between 83 and 90 in the, in the mid nineties and are still people are dying. So the gay community knows how to galvanize and react when, when things are bad. And, you know, Matthew Shepard, another prime example, but this, this event kind of transcended race, gender, politics, and orientation. This hurt everybody because it's just 49 people. I don't know if I could name 49 friends right now, you know, that's an immense amount of people and 53 people injured, profoundly injured. So this is some of the best people in comics and film and television and novels and literature coming together and contributing one and two page stories. Um, they can be pinups, they can be essays, they could be, they could be, um, they could be stories, they could be autobiographical, they could be Orlando specific, they could be sci-fi. Um, DC and IDW came together on this. IDW is publishing it with assistance from DC. Uh, DC allowed us to use their characters. Archie allowed us to use their characters. The Will Eisner estate let us use the Spectre. Or not the, oh, the, the Spirit. It's been a long day. Um, you can edit that out in post. And, <laughs> and you know, in, a, in an age of divisiveness, both in the, the genre community and in the world on the political stage, this is just an outpouring of love and passion and grief and celebration and honoring the people who we lost and, you know, celebrating their memory. And it, 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 it's an immense book that came together in the past four and a half months, um, with, which would not have been possible without uh, the two editors who volunteered their services, Jamie Rich, who's a, a great writer in his own right, and is now the executive editor at Vertigo, 
and uh, Sarah Gatos, who covers the Star Trek properties and the Hasbro properties and Nickelodeon at IDW, and they both, on top of their busy schedules of editing upwards of 20 they volunteered the time to help this book come together, and it wasn't possible without them. So that's the long version. No, that's that's amazing. And honestly, before we started recording, you pointed out too not just the 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 fifty casualties and the and the and the 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 injured that total around fifty, but you know their families and and the friends that they left behind. And uh, oh, you it, know, it, go it, on. It's over. It's overwhelming. You have you know there's there was a story about uh, one guy who was at the club with a bunch of his friends, and he went home because he was feeling sick, and the next morning he found that his friends were all killed. Yeah. You know, there's this, there's the story of the woman who survived cancer twice. She's 49 and had 11 kids, and she was in the club with her son. And she stepped between the killer and her son and took the bullet for him and died. Wow. I mean, there are stories that are just, you know, there's 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 just these horrible stories and stories of uh, people that, that faced horrible fates and did it. And, and, and there's people that were left behind. You know, we forget that that after the funerals, there's a whole there's a whole lifetime that people continue after this isn't in the headlines anymore. You know things like there were a couple of um, elderly people whose care, primary caregivers were their gay children who were killed in the club, and who's going to take care of them now? Yeah. You know there are some families that are so financially strapped they couldn't get gravestones for their children. I mean I can't even fathom that. There are people that are going to need psychiatric aftercare. There are people that are going to need physical aftercare. You know, the 53 people that were shot, the killer used a high-powered rifle. That's not that's not a BB shot or, or, or pellet. That's a profound injury. And a lot of these people are going to need altered living spaces and, and altered ways of life for their wheelchairs or their medicines or their treatments. And that's what this is going to go to. All, every single penny um, is going directly to the Quality Florida, and it's specifically earmarked for the victims of Orlando. Everything on this book was donated from the creators, the editors, the colorists, the letter, letters, letterers, the printers, the paper, everything. So there's no there's no percentage of this going to charity. This is all going to help. This is going from the 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 reader, the buyer, the purchaser of it from their hand directly to help victims. And that's that was really important to me. And that's what happened. And and also to the the caliber of people on this book is just it's just insane. If I had a comic book company that employed these people, I would be living on a mountain of gold because it's some <laughs> of the biggest, most amazing talents in the business. Yeah, I've got a list to start, and I know you'll add to it. Brandon Peterson, Damon Lindelof of Lost, uh, Elsa Chartier, Jesus Saiz, Laniel Yu, Matt Wagner, Mike Carey, Phil Jimenez, Olivier Coipel, Patton Oswalt, Paul Jenkins, Steve Sadowski, and I'll let you uh, throw some, some other names in there that people will recognize immediately. Brian Bendis and his daughter Olivia wrote a piece that Mike, Mike Oming drew, um, Grant Morrison. Brad Meltzer, Willow, I know you told me off the air. Brad Meltzer, Willow Wilson, Jeff King, um, Morgan Spurlock, uh, Patty Jenkins, the director of the upcoming Wonder Woman film and the Academy Award winning film Monster, wrote an introduction that's beautiful. Um, Roberto Aguirre-Sarcasa, Stephen Burr, Brian Busolato, uh, George Perez, Carl Kiesel. Who's Laura the white-collar guy again? Uh, Matt 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 Bomer, who's yeah. lovely. He wrote a. Um, uh, I mean, it's it's just crazy the, the amount of people that worked on the book. Uh, my friend Igor Detsky, who is one of the creators of the sitcom Mom, 
who has geek cred because he wrote the Christmas with the Joker episode of Batman the Animated Series. He wrote a piece. We have uh, David LaFuente doing art. We have, I mean, it's it's uh, the list just goes on and on and on. I always I always feel anxious when I'm talking about this because there's always people I forget because we had over we have over 350 creators involved on this. That's awesome. And it's man. just yeah, it's really been spectacular. No, it's... And, we, and the creators, too. We also have people on the book who aren't comics creators. I really reached out to trans people I knew and, and people of color and, and people that, that might have stories to tell. We have a couple of stories written and produced by people who lost people in, in the, 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 the killings of the club. So it's a really powerful book. It, but it's a, it's a sad book, but it's not a depressing book. I want people to know that the emotion in it is really powerful, but it's a, it's a book of acknowledging the sadness and the loss, but celebrating love in all its forms. And it's, it's really, I couldn't be prouder to be a part of this book because seeing all these disparate people come together in these divisive times and unify and just volunteer. People sought me out after I posted about wanting to do this. Uh, people really, really were impacted by this. And it really, it really comes off the page. I was joking today with the people over at DC that we should sell boxes of Love is Love Kleenex with the book, because the book is really a really cathartic, emotional, inspirational, beautiful, haunting book. And there's some really fun stuff in it, too. I mean, Ter- Taryn Killam uh, wrote, uh, from Saturday Night Live, who I did the book The Illegitimates with a couple of years ago, wrote a really, really great piece that I'm not going to dis- I'm not going to describe or even tell. But when you read it, it's it's a it's a it's a very it's very much like a breath mint after a, a garlic dinner. I it's, hear uh, it's fresh and it's it's fresh and it's comedic, but not disrespectful and just smart. And you know, it's just like I said, it's just an embarrassment of riches. This book is just it defies description. It's just really a, a, an amazing piece that that I really hope everybody gets. And we got some names that we'll be announcing up until the twenty first that a couple of them are gonna blow people's minds. I know people say they're going to split the internet in half all the time, but there's a couple people who contributed and, and allowed us to use things that are going to be mind-boggling. And in addition to them, those announcements, the book is going to sell out. It's, 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 it's a great book. It's a book that's worth $10 if it wasn't for charity, just for the collection of talent. And because the book is charitable and, and, and a great book, um, I think I think it's going to be um, a really sought after piece. Yeah, man. I mean, it's uh, again when we're looking at a time when we're not exactly sure how the incoming government uh, that takes over in 2017 will react to these kinds of things. It's good to know that the community is still willing to stand up and uh, stand. No, I, I actually, I actually think we do know how the government's going to react. <laughs> I think every every yeah. day he appoints flat top or the brow or. <laughs> You know, or Marsha Queen of Diamonds is the Secretary of the Interior. I think we know exactly. I think we know exactly where this is going. Yeah, and you but know. again, that's that was, the strength of the community in the face of that. But go on, please. Oh no, I mean it's great. You know, I just saw today that if Petraeus becomes the uh, Secretary of State, he'll have to report that to his parole officer. Yeah, yeah. That's a that's a sentence that should never happen. You know, Steve Bannon who likes the KKK, you know. We have, yeah. This is our first president in the modern age who's endorsed by the KKK, Kim Jong-un, and Vladimir Putin, and no major newspapers in the country. I hear you, man. No, you know, I spent Thanksgiving explaining Breitbart.com 
because they only know him through uh, 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 Breitbart and Steve Bannon through recent events. And I was explaining to them, no, they have been not only attacking liberals, but more importantly, the geek culture in such weird ways. And you know, oh, and, and, and their mis- their misogyny and their yes. racism and the sense of just they, you know, Steve Bannon looks like Baron Harkonnen from Dune. <laughs> But with but with but with worse skin. <laughs> well, and and truly, I mean, a mutual friend of ours attacked by uh, Breitbart Bendis for Miles Morales as some sort oh, of I'm Obama bad. plot. And you oh, know him much better than I do, but I know Brian, and it's like, no, I don't think so. That's not where Miles Morales came from. But if you read Breitbart.com and believed it. That's the kind of propaganda, again, beyond politics. They're attacking geek culture in a, in a well, very you know, you stupid know, way. Here's a, here's a joke for the young kids in the audience, meaning a joke for us old men. You know, Breitbart, was it, what was it, what its original name of it was? No. Pravda. <laughs> of course. The Russian propaganda newspaper. No, that's the thing. Pro- literally, propagandists, and it sounds shrill and unbalanced to an uninformed person when you hear liberals talking about this. But, no, there's a track record on the Internet. Put Marvel Comics well, at Breitbart.com. I'll say this. I'll say this. The, the thing that's the craziest about this whole thing is that the incidence of hate crimes went up 75% in the week after he was elected. Yeah. yeah. I, have a, I have a friend who's, who's got a 10-year-old daughter, and his daughter's best friend is Muslim, and they were walking to school the day after the election, and, and guys in a car threw rocks at these two 10-year-old girls. This is not the country I want to live in. This is it's ironic. It's ironic that these guys who claim they are patriots and Americans and are, are leaning towards Nazis. Some comedian tweeted he wants to go back in time and bring all the grandfathers of these people, who the people that fought World War II, back today to fight their grandchildren, no because kidding. the idea that American patriotism is about isolationism and misogyny and homophobia and anti-Semitism and people see hailing and we have a we have a man who's going to be the most powerful person on the planet who has not not only just not only not denounced it but not come out and said this is ridiculous he just keeps a he's defying the electoral college to do what the electoral college was designed to do to prevent a demagogue from coming in and I really don't think he wants the job yeah I'm confused I I understand and it's it is very weird and it's unfortunately but, you know, the, you've got a vice president who's uh, been very clear on his uh, views of uh, the uh, the gay community as well. Well, well, trust me, I'm waiting for that 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 coming out story. I'm waiting. No one hates gay people that much that isn't a self-loathing monster. Yeah. You know, I yeah. mean, it, it it it's just it's just bad writing at this point. The, the ultra conservative, homophobic Republican who's gay. It's just like it's such a stock character at this time. You can't even. It's like it's the it's the equivalent of the dial having someone say we're not in Kansas anymore. It's something that doesn't ever need to be done ever again because it's so boring at this point. Yeah. Well, and you know, I told you it's sad because you mentioned the grandparents of some of these young people and stuff. My father was a World War II vet, and he was, as I told you off the air, a Reagan and Nixon Republican. And yet, when he got to know, he was a restaurant owner and uh, had a had a, a gay couple as, as uh, customers, guys that hung, it was a bar as well as a restaurant. They hung out at the bar. They were good guys. And uh, they were dating when my dad first met him. They ended up getting married. My father saw the photos of their, their wedding. And it was really, I was very proud of him because he had the, a very natural reaction of, 
wow, it was just like a, you know, in his words, it was just like a regular wedding. And I'm like, well, yeah, Dad. And, and you know, but he was like, he was fascinated by it, but in a very positive way of they're good guys and they're not hurting my life and they're great guys. And it was, he goes, it was very eye-opening. And, and he goes, you know, good for them. I'm glad they found each other. And I was really proud of my Reagan well, Republican the, father. <laughs> that's the thing. Most people, most people don't, care what other people do yep. as long as you're happy and not impinging on their rights and the thing is too once you know we, we talked about this a little off the air but once you meet someone who's in a minority group or a stereotype the stereotype has to dissolve yeah. or you're just a monster yeah. you know yeah because once 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 you meet once you meet a gay person or a jewish person or a trans person or an, a black person they don't they're no they're not your black friend or your gay friend. They're your friend who yeah. happens to be. Yeah. And that's important, dissolving these stereotypes. And I really do believe that if our education system hadn't been so thoroughly dismantled throughout the past twenty five years, that none of this would be an issue. Because when people are uneducated, they're scared. And when they're scared, they to blame someone. And it, 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 you know, from a psychological profile standpoint, this all makes perfect sense, these behaviors. But we've got to provide the education. I, for one, want everyone to have free college and free health care because the smarter and healthier everyone is around me, the less I have to do. <laughs> no, you're right. It's not about it's not about being a, a good person and wanting everyone to reap the benefits of a good life. It's part of it's a little selfish. It's like if you're if you're smarter and healthy, a, a raising tide rises, you know, raises all ships. You know, I always joke that as I get older, I don't get smarter. It's just the water level in the pool gets lower. I'm staying the same. It's just, <laughs> yeah. It's just the, the the benchmarks are getting lower. So anyway, let's talk about comics. Well, yeah, man. Uh, no, and th this is a 9.99 book. It comes out um, December 21st. Uh, yes, but I do, rec do recommend um, ordering it, calling your local comic book store as soon as you hear this, and special ordering it from them. And because the final order cutoff was last week, when like I had mentioned earlier, some of the talent we're still going to announce is going to make it really sought after. And if you don't have access to a local comic book store, it's going to be available digitally. Uh, we're going to have some exclusive content digitally because we had to lock down a format before everybody turned in their contributions and embarrassment of riches. And there's going to be some big names that are going to be digital only. Um, and you can also order it directly from idwpublishing.com. Um, but I really do recommend it. I recommend buying multiple copies because it's, it's a great gift. It's a great, it's a, it's an, it's a, an emotionally rich book um, that is suitable for everyone except the very young just because of some of the stuff it deals with. It's not explicit in language or, or graphic graphic quality, but it is dealing with the fallout of a really horrible event. And I don't, you know, I, I, little kids shouldn't have to worry about that stuff. But this is good for probably the ages of 10 or 11 up. And it's a collection of, like I said, some of the best talent in comics doing work that is raw and emotional and honest. And it, it's really an unprecedented collection. You know, when, when these kind of collections come out, too, uh, given the brevity that it's a page or two pages in some cases, you get some really interesting uh, experimental stuff that isn't, you know, normally what you see as far as some of these writers and, and artists' output. And I think that's oh, it can it, be very exciting it, as well. It's, ama it's, ama it's amazing because for almost without fail, every single person that contributed said, God, this is so much harder than doing even a, a five-page story, a sure. one-page or a two-page. And, you know, people said to me, some people said, well, you know, you know, whether it was some, some, a lot of my straight white male friends were like, I don't know how to, I don't know what to write. I don't want to feel like I'm pandering and I don't want to write something maudlin. I said, write something 
that you would want to show your kid about this. You know, don't overthink it. Just write from the heart. I said, I'll tell you if I think it's cheesy. I'll tell you if I think it's overwrought. I'll tell you if I think it feels false. But without question, every single one of these pieces, from the first draft of the final print, are virtually unchanged That's awesome. because the pieces were so so real and so honest. That's great, man. Now, congratulations for spearheading this. And uh, everyone else should jump on board on this. And I'm I am happy to uh, draw a line in the sand and and be on a certain uh, side of that line because uh, I I do I think this does transcend politics. This is about people, and it's great to see the the geek community respond in such a positive way. So yeah, I'm I'm completely behind it. Thank you so much. And one other thing I wanted to add: we're still working out the details, but probably at MegaCon next year in the end of May, which takes place in Orlando. We're going to do an auction of all the original art from the book. A hey, live that's auction. great! Wow, what a great yeah. idea! Fantastic. We're going to do we're going to do a big event there. We're going to try and get as many of the contributors as possible to come, um, and we're going to do um, uh, a gallery showing. Hopefully, um, we'll probably do we're probably going to try and do a private showing initially for the people that were impacted by it to come see the art uh, and, and, and be cathartic for them. And then we're going to do a live auction. Uh, we're working on the details, but you'll be able to bid anywhere from around the world. It'll be alive as well as uh, you don't have to be in person in Orlando. And a lot of these pieces are fantastic. And a couple of the artists only do pieces digitally now. So if they didn't do pen and ink, we're going to have really high res, high quality prints. And they're going to be signed and numbered one of one. They're going to be unique prints of the work that wasn't that was done digitally. I hear you. So it's going to be. It's going to be a really, really, really wonderful thing. And once again, I can't give enough thanks to DC and IDW for instantly offering everything they did and for places like Archie and um, and the Will Eisner estate and Jason Aaron. You know, he has we have a Southern Bastard story in here. And for places like, you know, Marvel and, and, and Valiant who allowed artists and writers who were exclusive to them to contribute to this book. So it really is a, a really sort of everybody coming together in their grief and hope and defiance to, to do something for the greater good. And, it, and it, I really, I really think this is going to make a huge impact on a lot of people's lives. And that's something that everyone involved, whether you buy the book or worked on the book can be proud of because every, every ounce of this goes to help people that need it. Well done, man. Very, very cool. And I, you know, you've always, you've always been an interesting writer and, and done great things, but I think, yeah, this is, this is a big one. This is a very significant thing, and I know you said, too, that uh, if this is what you're remembered for, that's fantastic, and I, I think it's a wonderful cause, and I'm, I'm glad you spearheaded it, so congratulations. Yeah, rallying the, the, cra- the crazy thing about it is how it's resonated in the quote-unquote real world. You know, the New York Times had the exclusive announcement of some of the talent a couple of months, about a month ago, and it was the most retweeted story on their website the day it was announced. The Guardian in London did a big article. We're in Oprah Magazine's favorite things Christmas issue as the awesome thing of the month. Oh, that's um, great. We've got, the, you know, so it's it's really it's really lovely to see the reach yeah. of this. So yeah, man. No, like I said, man. In the face of this kind of uh, government and everything, it's good to the, that the community is standing up and uh, taking care of things. And that's the important thing is that the community does, you know, help its brothers out and sisters. And uh, this is this is great. Well done. 
Okay, another special holiday treat. I was able to go in studio at Four Star Studios and sit down with Ryan Brown. And it's uh, always good to uh, do those live face-to-face interviews. I let Ryan just go because, as I said earlier, he's got uh, curse words coming up from Image. And uh, always happy to hear his takes on uh, publishing through Image versus Kickstarter, where he's been successful in both places. And I think he has a lot of really information, really new and interesting information to share. So uh, I hope you'll enjoy this portion of the conversation now with Ryan Brown on Word Balloon. Man, I just missed a good story from Ryan Brown because uh, I'm here in Four Star Studios and we're sitting on the couch. We've done this before with uh, Tim Seeley and uh, Steve Seeley, but it's a nice casual conversation. I got time off, so I wanted to uh, do something different instead of the usual Skype call or telephone call. And it's good to have Ryan Brown live to talk about curse words and, and many other things. Good to see you, man. Good to see you, too. It's nice to do it face-to-face because I feel like we won't step over each other's words a lot, which I love doing accidentally, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. I, yeah, that, it doesn't bother me. I, You know, I'm, I'm used to, you know, 25 years of radio and everything, doing it that way and never really feeling like it got in the way. So, sure. you know, and even Skype, I'd rather not do a video Skype. Every time Brian Posehn, when he was doing Deadpool, he came on. And I used to live in this apartment that had no air conditioning. And um, it was really hot. It was July. And I'm about to do a Skype conversation with him. And I'm like, well, you know, it's audio. It's fine. So I, uh, I've got, like, boxers on, no shirt, sweating, sweating, sweating my ass off. And I call him up. And his uh, Skype avatar is him naked from the waist up with his baby on his massive gut at the time. <laughs> and he's like, hey, how you doing? And I'm like, Jesus, I was afraid for you to see me live. Yeah. And look at your avatar. I go, you, you have no shit. He's like, nah, I don't care. I'm married. <laughs> so, yeah, that's what I always think of when, when Skype calls and the anonymity of, of uh, being able to just be a voice and, and every. Now you're worried about every time I call, God forbid, what I'm probably oh not wearing. Oh, I know. Well, I like your Brian Posehn because he sounded spooky. Your impression of him? It was like <laughs> spooky Posehn. Uh, uh, yeah, you know, I usually wear clothes. God bless you. Like mo- most <laughs> of my you. life, I spend wearing clothes. I like doing it. I like wearing clothes. Yeah, too. I like it. And I and I have a I have an apartment that has central air, so I'm much more clothed <laughs> than I used to be. This is a, this is a rough time back about ten years ago. But anyway, curse words. This this transitions very nicely into curse words. You a lot of nudity in that book. You and Chuck Sol- uh, Is there nudity no. in curse words? No, there's there's no nudity. <laughs> I was going to say none in the first issue. Um. Give me the elevator pitch. It's a it's a wizard in our modern world. Yeah, it's uh, basically a wizard appears in modern day New York City. He's super cool, super sweet, super smooth. Everyone loves him. He becomes very famous for doing basically magic for hire. Uh, but what we don't know, what the people don't know, is that he's actually an evil wizard in a good wizard disguise, and he was sent here by a demon to destroy our world. But when he got here, he was like into all the modern accoutrement and flushing toilets and television and flaming hot Cheetos. So he decided he was just going to live here and be awesome and get famous for doing magic and just live a sweet life. Uh, unfortunately, the wizard who, or the demon that sent him here doesn't appreciate that, so he sends other wizards after him to, de- to destroy our world. So, <laughs> so he's a bad wizard pretending to be a good wizard who ends up having to save us from other bad wizards. Yeah, reluctant hero, basically. Yeah, pretty much. Very cool. No, I think that's great, and obviously a great opportunity to make fun of celebrity, which, man, every year you think it can't get more outrageous. And, <laughs> you know, 2016 is just... 2016, what a, what a shitty year on so many levels, but celebrity, definitely. It was the worst, yeah. What a, what a terrible year. But it's 
one thing that Charles and I figured out was that uh, the, so the wizard's name is Wizard, um, so it's just Wizard with an O. Uh, um, yeah, real good, real good. Um, what we what we realized is that he comes from this kind of crazy medieval fantasy world, and in that world, the only way that you're famous is by being evil, by conquering people, by killing people, by taking things. And uh, when he gets to our world, he realizes that you can live an amazing lifestyle just by being sweet, you know, or looking good, or uh, you know, doing things for people. Uh, you know, in, in rewards for, for rewards so that he can live a, an amazing life. And that's like a huge contrast to where he comes from, where you have to blow everyone up so that you live in a castle. Well, and some you, you show him fulfilling some people's wishes, and obviously things don't go the way that maybe they, they thought they should. I'll leave it at that. The first issue comes out in January. Yeah, first issue comes out in January. I mean, he's he's not a good person. So he's got this this lean to everything that he does magic wise that is a little suspect um you know he's he's really doing everything for himself at this point uh so you know he's kind of i mean that's where it started is like what do we why don't we do a book about a wizard who's a dick and that's because <laughs> we can do whatever we want with magic and we just we wanted to make a comic that you could just take the visuals totally off the rails and do all the things that you can do in comics, you know, because you have an unlimited visual effects budget, you know, so you can just do whatever you want. So uh, that's that was like the motivation for building this this story. And then, well, and you're the right artist for it because obviously, God's ha- God hates astronauts kind of has always been this left of center, outrageous <laughs> book. So you kind of start way left of center. You're off in the corner, and now I imagine what Charles is, you know, the two of you collaborating because you guys are are really co-writing this. I mean, more so than a regular artist writer collaboration. Yeah, I mean, we we developed the idea together, um, and uh, Charles is unlike anyone that I've ever worked with. And the great part of working with him is that. Um, you know, it's it's like a yes and experience for the entire thing. Like, what if this? Oh, and then what about this? About this? And um, the ideas develop pretty organically with, like, a back and forth of us. Um, and then as, as, you know, the person who's credited as the writer, he sits down and figures out more of a, a emotional, like, and, and uh, you know, consequences and motivations of characters that are kind of built, built around it. So... I'm used to just doing weirdo stuff and ideas for scenes and storytelling ideas. And then so he kind of builds the infrastructure and then writes the actual scripts. So I'm not writing any of the dialogue in it. But in terms of co-creating, we're, we're you know, spitballing back and forth all the time. Like, what if this happened? What if this happened? Well, what about this? Um, and then he kind of makes adjustments to his scripts. And, uh, yeah, so it's like a really fluid uh way to work and it's great because my skill set is only uh, you know is is limited to what I can do and Charles brings in so much amazing deep thought about about story and about character that I could never ever come up with so um I really think that our skill sets complement each other really well and that we work together uh like it's it's the best working uh situation I've ever had that's great, and obviously will only help strengthen your your own writing skills and everything, and maybe start, obviously, with the influence of Charles. Maybe you'll start rethinking your stuff in a different way. Well, it makes me feel stupid. 
no, yeah, no. No. no, no. It's just like, boy, people actually think about like way in the future on when they're writing books. They don't just draw the next page and figure it out, you know, which is all I do. <laughs> so, is that true? I mean, obviously, in the case of uh, Blast Furnace, yeah, it was, it was, it started off as kind of a a challenge to yourself to just kind of do something that way but was god's god hates astronauts really more th- like that instinctive yeah it, it was i mean the first volume which was a web comic i would th- i was thinking ahead about three to four pages at the time and i would do a page or two a week when it was a web comic and i just i just winged it and there were a lot of happy accidents which i've gotten pretty lucky with a lot of stuff i've written that that things connect well and uh, have have weight to them that I didn't really intend. Um, so I'm I, I'm just I'm I'm starting to really push myself with thinking ahead. And the most recent run of God Hates Astronauts was um, I was planning five issues at a time. So, uh, but then I was since I was the artist and the writer, I would change my mind all the time sure. and just draw new things into the pages, and then have to like rework it. And I never had any scripts. I wouldn't write any dialogue until I had finished drawing the entire issue. Uh, and then I just figure out what people were saying. Were you are you the kind of artist that thumbnails it first and then and then puts it on, or do you just do it? Uh, I thumbnail the whole thing. That's where that's where I technically am writing it. Like I write an sure. outline of what should happen in the issue, and then I thumbnail the whole thing. Uh, I'm not a good reader, so I make my comics silent comics. Okay. So like it's really important to me that you can you can tell what's happening without any words. Right, the art carries the story. Yeah. yeah. So that's that, that's what I that's like a, a, a primary thing for me always okay. is that you can you can read the emotion and you can read the passage of time and the story beats without any words. Um and then I just figure out the words later. <laughs> That's cool. No, I, honestly, I, I, when I heard the collaboration between you and Charles, I'm like, this is very interesting because you do both come at stories from different ways. But um, once I heard the concept and actually read the first issue and stuff, it works great. And, yeah, I think you really stretch Charles's imagination with, with your visuals. And obviously, Charles, Charles, it's a more conventional story. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, it's it's got its level of, of, you know, going crazy that you bring in everything. But, you know, yeah, there, there's a foundation of a, of a more conventional story in this case. Yeah, that's that's um, that's something that I really wanted to do um, because basically God Hates Astronauts was me doing everything that I ever wanted to do. It was a very selfish book in terms of I only drew what I wanted to draw. I only wrote about what I wanted to write about, and I did everything um, – you know that way to just make it as fun as possible for me um were there bad experiences that led to that in terms of you know before you started it well i mean work for hire which is you know the bulk of my career ends up being where you just follow a script and and draw what they want you to draw and you know like in god hates astronauts i decided i hated drawing cars so i was never going to draw a car so people are just floating around in a seated driving position on the street because i don't like driving cars but i you know when you work in comics you usually have to be able to, to at least get close to drawing a little bit of everything um so god hates astronauts was like i like drawing animal headed people and uh and that's about it. So that's all I'm going to draw. <laughs> you know? So curse words, curse words challenges me, especially because it's in New York City, um, and uh, like that's the main stage of it. So I have to draw New York City, which is 
very detailed and needs a lot of reference to get it right and get sure. it believable. Um, so so far, um, uh, Google Maps has been Street View has been very helpful for That's cool. for plotting locations. I know you were just in uh, New York for uh, the the Comic Con, and back in October we were both there. And uh, yeah, do you do you take notice now because of uh, curse words in a way that you didn't before? Oh yeah, and I think that in terms of an environment that's very heavy on specific detail, New York is at the top. Oh yeah, you know just the signage and you know when there's scaffolding and when there's you know just different storefronts that are. New York has a especially like on Manhattan where you know where we have to be for the convention every year. Like those storefronts are extremely busy. Oh, yeah. um, and it just faking that stuff only goes so far. So and now you hate cars, but I was going to say I always love their parking solution of uh, those outside uh, lots that have like girders and it's all, and platforms and it's almost just all hydraulic lift and not you know no structure around it. You know we're we're used to if it's like that, it most likely is going to be. Um, you know, something out of concrete or something like that, but they have got the bare skeleton of what they need. And yeah, all right, just park your car. We'll lift it up. It'll be three stories high and it'll be waiting there suspended in the air for you until you get back. Yeah. That sounds like my worst drawing nightmare <laughs> to have to draw one of those filled with cars. <laughs> it's terrible. Hopefully Charles is terrible. listening and yeah, you won't put in a scene oh, where they're, where they're out in a parking lot. There. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> it's going to happen. <laughs> Jesus. Um, Dude, as always, I, I give it up to you for your uh, your creator-owned stuff and your solution to um, finding a market because you've been one of the most successful uh, creator-owned guys that goes to uh, crowdfunding for your stuff and and was able to really do it, like, you know, from God Hates Astronauts Out. And obviously, it helped building that webcomic audience and stuff. But are there any is there any differences now as you as you go on to you know are you do you, are you planning another uh, crowdfunding project soon or do you feel like you've you've you know managed to establish yourself enough now that you you know can do it through image and other publishing platforms um, I am slowly planning another Kickstarter um, it's a it's a very different process than working with even a company like Image that's so hands off. Uh, you know, working with the image is, is fantastic. It's, it's, it's really, you get to do everything that you really want to do and they just guide you through it, which is, is amazing. Like we just turn in completed issues and they've never even seen, you know, a script or anything. Sure. And it's just like, there you go. No, and they trust you and they trust you. And it's, it's fantastic. It's such an amazing resource for creator own because you really get to do exactly what you want to do, which is, which is amazing. But you know, you're still dealing with the, the quote-unquote direct market, and you still have to solicit things through previews, and then, you know, they take, Diamond takes their big chunk, and then, you know, gets, you have to convince stores to order it, and there's just, there's there's a lot of energy that you have to spend, uh, you know, in that direction, whereas you use that same energy for a Kickstarter in a different direction in a truly direct market where you're selling directly to your fans, um, which, you know, for each book you sell you make more money um and your fans get to directly support you and so you sell a lot lot fewer comics when you go through kickstarter than when you would go through image but you'll make more money on each book you sell and so at some so usually like it kind of evens out you know in terms of financial gain i guess okay but um 
but it's just a different process. It's what you have energy for. Like, do I want to spend my energy uh, tr- pitching and you know putting together a pitch and trying to get it picked up, and then after it gets picked up, do all the scheduling and um, you know because with image I'm doing all the design on the book as well, just like I would with a Kickstarter. Like it's Charles and I. And then uh, Michael Garland is is working on colors, and okay. uh, Chris Crank is lettering it. But okay. um, we're still we're our own editors. We're putting everything together. Production too. I'm yeah, sure. production everything. You know, uh, you know, I upload all the final print files to the server and all that. So it's the same thing that I would be doing if I produce a book with a Kickstarter. It's just with a Kickstarter, then I've got thirty days where I have to promote it, and then I have to fulfill it, which you know can be quite months. Yeah, quite a nightmare depending on how you do it. Sure, man. So, so yeah, it's just it's just a different way of doing things, you know. Um, if I could just work on image books forever, that's great. And if I could just do Kickstarters forever and make a living, that's great too. So I'm hoping to continue to have like a little bit of both. Sure. Um, you know. And well, and I would imagine having a having an image book is, you know, more direct market. Obviously, stores would be more likely to put it out there so someone might stumble on your product in the direct market versus Kickstarter, which is obviously an established market that you've been able to grow and you're you're going to your fans. Are there many, like one again, I guess Blast Furnace was the last, I don't know what the last Kickstarter was for you because you've also done a couple different yeah. versions for yeah. both God Hates Astronauts and Blast Furnace. Yeah, that was Blast Furnace, the full color edition was the last one I did. Okay. Um, and it was... The smoothest one I did, but it still had tons of problems and stress and, okay. uh, you know, lots of hours put in that I wasn't making comics, but I was worrying about, you know, figuring out all the logistics. And, you know, I had my friend owns a UPS store, so he did most of the fulfillment on it. Um, so it was... I'm That's great. Yeah, I'm really kind of figuring out how to do it, but... Uh, but you know now I'm sitting on tons of books that I have to slowly sell at comic shows and you know on on my online store and stuff. So uh, you have to house those and right, <laughs> you know, right. Like there's a, there's there's a, there's a whole different set of things you have to think about um, with a Kickstarter versus doing an image book. Sure, like they both they both have difficulties and they both have great advantages. So yeah, you know, you know, unless and if you don't have the space in your house or your apartment, obviously you're renting a warehouse space to to keep your inventory right you know and that but then again you've got something too that you can physically sell at at shows beyond sketches and stuff like that which obviously might you know hey great you know i can have a nicer dinner tonight at the convention doesn't have to be subway (laughs) (laughs) that kind of thing yeah no you know i well yeah as i'm sure a lot of people who are listening and stuff these are the things they have to think about when they when they do a crowdfunder and god i mean i've seen those sad horror stories of the people who didn't get overwhelmed and don't realize how much is involved. So, and I, you know, I can, I can appreciate that. And it it always keeps me gun shy about possibly doing crowdfunding (laughs) with some of the things I'm planning to do. But, uh, no, you know, um, that's cool. Well, I'm, I'll be curious and, and really, yeah, I'm glad you're in this kind of position. And again, I'm always, uh, I think it's really great the way things you 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 cultivated these great relationships with established creators, worked on their books, got to be what you know known through these kind of relationships. Whether it was 
Bedlam with Spencer, and I'm, I'm trying to think of some of the other things, Manhattan Projects, right, with yeah. Hickman. I mean, that's great. So people kind of, you know, you, you kind of guessed, you pitch in and fill in for a couple of issues. I hope I didn't spit on you just then. No, no, it's fine. Good. <laughs> I just noticed. Uh, but now you pitch in, and, uh, yeah, suddenly people, more people become aware of your stuff. In it. And really, I just think organically you were able to grow this audience in a way that I, I'm not aware of other people doing. I'm sure some have. Yeah, yeah. But again, I, I, you know. I think people have. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's, uh, you know, going to art school and, and wanting to do comics professionally, I always wondered how I'd break in, you know, like, or if I would, you know. Sure. And uh, and it took me forever. Like, it it took me a really, really long time, which is, which my frustration and not being able to get any work is why I started doing it all myself. So that kind of came out of necessity. Uh, but I also realized that when I was doing it for myself, I was making better work. Um, and I think that's still the case to this day. It's kind of frustrating to me that when I work on uh, freelance work for higher stuff, I just I just don't think it's as good. Like the art is not as good. The drawings are, are not as – I'm not having as much fun. And I, and I am really bad at faking it. Is it is it the impending deadline? I mean, because that that's another thing when you're working for someone else and it is a monthly a scheduled mon- monthly book. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes maybe you know your final version that you need to turn in before the deadline isn't up to your level of satisfaction. No, I don't think it is. I, okay. I'm pretty fast and I and I like to work a lot, okay. so I've never had problems with deadlines from that standpoint. Okay. Uh, I just think that stuff is is stiff and labored when I when I am not really into it because you know? you're not you're not emotionally invested yeah. in it as much as if it was your own idea. Right, exactly. Okay. Yeah. All right. I can see that. That's fair. Are there have there been other publishers beyond Image and Image is its own thing that have come to you with a, at least a little more hands off uh, approach and, and come to you and said, Hey, if you want to do a book with us, since your success. Uh, well, after God Hates Astronauts was uh, when I did the hardcover Kickstarter that did really well. Um, I heard from from pretty much every company that had rejected it that they were interested in and and something else doing more God Hates Astronauts. Oh, specifically yes, more. Yeah. Well, sure, mm-hmm. and it's obviously a hit. So. Um, and I chose Image just because I knew how hands off they were. Because I was like, well, I've never written a script for anything I've done, and the idea of having to work with an editor sounds. Like it would be, it would kind of change the process, and it sure. would be a lot more work for me. And I'm not, I wasn't sure how nervous I'd be working with an editor, you know. So that's why I chose Image. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't really try to get work Sequels with, out, yeah. yeah, anymore because the the Kickstarter. Um, you know, like with the with the last Kickstarter, I intentionally did a smaller Kickstarter, and I think the next one I do will try and be even smaller, uh, with the idea of it creating a lot less stress and a and a lot less work on the back end, uh, and a lot less work on the front end, like doing Kickstarters for smaller books. I was going to say, okay, so yeah, literally like a like. You know, yeah, I don't even know how many, maybe 96 pages, maybe, you know, even less, a novella. Yeah, I'm thinking about a 50-page book. Okay. You know. Interesting. And, and, uh, you know, and then I've even thought about doing single issues, like a 32-page book, and just doing them in a series. And a lot of people have done that kind of stuff. Um, But but the the build-up and the stress and the work ahead of time and, and, you know, like... With God Hates Astronauts, when I did that hardcover, that was six years of work off and on that I was that I was 
putting out there in one collection. And so it was extremely stressful if it didn't work out because this was it. This was everything, you know. And if I if I didn't hit the right press and people didn't find out about it, then that was just going to be it. Um, and so then with, with Blast Furnace, uh, I basically, you know, I, I came on this show and I went on a couple other podcasts, you know, that friends have. But I didn't really try to to you know beat everyone into paying attention you know just because you know i could hit my goal and be okay with that and you know every book you sell on kickstarter that's more work for you to do and more cost so um i just decided that i would just kind of take it easy and i think that that's a a better way to go about it it just the because the stress level you're really putting yourself out there and the then the crowd crowdfunding a lot of people don't really understand the mechanics of it and so they think that you're getting rich or, you know, the money they think is, you know, is, is, yeah, it's, it's transparent, right? They can see how much money you're making right. on your book, but, but they don't really know because so every sale is, is cost, you know, a unit and shipping and, um, it, your time. And so there, so every, every sale is more work. And so. Um, the place that I think you can really make money on a Kickstarter is having your print run paid for and then selling the books at shows. Um, so that that was that's kind of my idea on a Kickstarter. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of my idea is 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 just have more books out there to sell directly to people um, and make money off the books that way instead of having to hope for a lot of store orders and and hope for a ton of orders through a Kickstarter. You want enough, obviously, to hit your goal um, and hopefully make a little bit of money uh, through the process. But I, I think that it's, you know, more important to build up a catalog of stuff that you can, you can be selling directly to people and just kind of funding your life so that you can keep doing it. Yeah. No, and building a library, you know. And sure. Yeah. No, that's great, honestly. And, uh, and it's... I've heard you explain that to other creators at, at shows, and I'm always like, "This is this is great," and I really think that's a very important component to people who are creating this and considering how they want to go about it, where they want to set their goals in terms of how much money they want to raise to to pay for everything, and also again have this product that they can sell later and eventually develop this library idea. I think that's great. Mm-hmm. I've I've seen Remender do it. I've seen Bendis do it. You know, I mean, that's the th- you know a lot of their early stuff didn't sell that well. But luckily, they hung on to it and everything, and through their later success, have been able to go back and and put out second printings of, you know, God, in Bendis' case, this is stuff that's 20 years old, yeah, you know, and it's still selling because it's Bendis. It's an early Bendis. Early Brian, early Ryan Brown. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I, some of my early self-published stuff, early issues of God Hates Astronauts, I've sold for like 600 bucks on eBay. And other people have sold for that much on eBay. That's awesome. And it's just like a crazy thing because it was all books that I couldn't give away. You know, most of those books ended up in garbage cans. Yeah. I'm sure of it. Um, which is a really strange, like, I don't know, validation. I don't know. I understand <laughs> it's, really, it's a really nice thing. Um, and, yeah, I mean, the the thing is that coming from self-publishing has prepared me to be able to do all the little little things uh, in producing a comic, and so I, I when people, when I know people that are are trying to get books done through publishers, um, try and encourage them to to either get something from the publisher in advance or something, or just do it themselves, uh, because there's so much more you can gain. Because when you're working with a publisher, the publisher has risk involved, 
right? And then, but when you do a Kickstarter, the risk is all yours. But that means the reward is higher. Um, and as if you if you take that risk on, you know, you can you can actually do pretty well for yourself. Um, so it's just it's just a different way of thinking about things because, like when I was coming up and trying to get work, uh, certainly there wasn't you know the internet wasn't as you know, there wasn't crowdfunding and there wasn't a way. And so all you did was hope and pray a publisher liked it. Like that was the only real way that felt significant was, you know, it's whatever deal you would possibly give me, even though I make no money as long as it's in a store, as long as it's published. And I think a lot of people still have that, that idea that I just need it to be published in, in a store, which is, you know, it's like a romantic idea. It's, it's something you grow up wanting to have your books in stores, but you can take a different spin on it and you can try and make a living making comics and selling to far fewer people but just making more in each one you sell because you're selling it directly to them um and so you know i unfortunately kickstarter has enough horror stories for creators that it really has not become the 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 alternative that i wish it was I think it's become a big alternative for people that, that you know, make games and technology stuff. Uh, and, you know, there's still web comics that do pretty well on it. But in terms of people that make print comics, it really has, uh, you know, slowed down considerably in terms of, uh, I think people are just, just have become so scared of it over time. With new people trying it versus, I mean, you're you're kind of established and you've got your you've got your core audience and everything. Are you saying for yeah newer newer yeah. kind of initiatives? Yeah, well, well, I mean, like if 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 I were starting over, what I would do, and I think it's a pretty safe model, is that you launch your book as a web comic for free. You you give it out to everybody. You send it around. Uh, maybe you print some. You know, small copies and get tables at shows and promote it that way. Maybe you make some merchandise. And then after you get 40, 50 pages up there, then you launch Kickstarter and just do it very, very small and uh, and do everything right and fulfill everything on time. And, you know, like, I, I feel like if, if your stuff is, if your product's good and you need to raise $5,000 to do, like, a single-issue Kickstarter, like, you, you you can do that even if you don't have much of a name. And I, I would think that that would be much more rewarding than, than trying to get it picked up by a publisher, which is which is very hard to do. No, and, and especially, you know, yeah, $5,000 for a single-issue, that's a nice yeah. achievement and everything, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, if I... if you know, if I wanted to do a new book um, and Image wasn't interested, then that's that's what I would do. I would just I'd make a web comic, I'd put it up, update it regularly, promote it, and then hopefully get a, a following, and then do a do a small Kickstarter for it, and then do another small Kickstarter, another, another, another. Publishing the same, obviously, you know what what you put up for free, and yeah, all just of to offer yep. offer mm-hmm. it as a. I mean, what what's the appeal then? To, you know, for that if someone's read it, you know, as the web comic people. People like physical stuff. Okay. They they, re- they really do, um, and especially if, if it's good, you know. Uh, some of the most successful Kickstarters have been web comics, and a lot of it is because the people that back Kickstarters already they get their comics through the internet, um, and Kickstarters through the internet. So sure. it's just like you read this you read this every day. Well, give us twenty bucks, and you can have this print collection of it by clicking two two more buttons, you know, from from the web comic. And I think that that's a really natural progression. I got, I heard many many times, 
from people that have bought my books on Kickstarter that they don't go to a comic shop and they don't buy monthly comics. So, you know, they just get their, they read the comics online and stuff and, and buy some things on Amazon maybe. But, uh, you know, your audience is already an audience that exists in line. Like, it's really hard to go to comic shops and leave flyers and be like, hey, can you guys, when you go home, can you get online and back my Kickstarter? Like, that's not a super practical way to promote it versus here it is. Why don't you read 40 pages if you like this? Here you can buy a print version of it and help support it, um, which, I th- which I think a lot of people will. I mean, you'll get tons of people that won't, but with a Kickstarter, because the money is so direct and there aren't a lot of people taking chunks out of it, you can sell a lot fewer and still have a success. Like with, with my last Kickstarter, I sold 830 copies of the book through it, uh, and I made a, an okay amount, and I got to print my book. Uh, if I had sold 830 copies of it through the direct market, I would have been in trouble. Sure, <laughs> like Absolutely. really in trouble. I wouldn't have made anything. Right. So, no, that's great. You know, um, I'm going to put uh, our conversation on with the panel that you did in uh, Cincinnati um, with Jim Rugg and, and the cool. others and everyone. And I and I yeah, I think it's a it's a it's a good way to kind of. You know, so when you're done listening to this interview, stick around for the panel because uh, you're not only going to hear from uh, from Ryan, but you're also going to hear from Jim Rugg and uh, Sarah Dyer and uh, and Alexis uh, Zirit from uh, Oh God, I love his Space book Riders. Space Riders, which is so ridiculous. And Kyle um, Kyle Starks Kyle Starks who does, who does you know a very similar thing. Kyle Starks does the same. He's got Image books and Kickstarter books at the same time. Uh, you know, he's he's operating in that same realm of humor books that aren't super popular in stores for whatever reason, but but have an audience online. Um, still don't know why that is. Um, you know, they well, know. it's because a lot of stores are really more the owner's taste versus the customer's taste. Sure, and I, and also, man, that that um, profit margin is so razor thin. Mm-hmm. And God, even even somebody successful like Brian Hibbs out in San Francisco was kind of talking out loud this past week online. I think it was on Heidi's uh, website um, where she was uh, Heidi McDonald, where uh, Publishers Weekly's uh, comic blog, and uh, just talking about how you know just trying to rent a storefront in San Francisco and how. You know, if you're an independent business, it's kind of impossible to keep up with the escalating, you know, real estate rates. But also, idiosyncratically, yeah, I mean, if I don't like humor books, I'm not going to carry them in my store unless, I mean, there's some guys that kind of operate to their own detriment and don't really listen to their thing. But, you know, most, how many of those 3,000 stores across the country are just safe? DC and Marvel, whatever they're putting out, and, you know, maybe a little bit of image, maybe. Sure. You know, I mean, I mean that we're lucky. You know, yeah. I mean, we're. And was it like that in Detroit? I mean, in terms of, I was going to say we're lucky in Chicago, New York, and the bigger cities where there are so many stores, and you really can. I mean, you know, from Quimby's to Chicago Comics to Challengers, yeah. You know, to oh yeah, comics that caters to a kids, you know, sure. primarily to a kids market, but still has everything. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's that's smart, and you know, you really do listen to your audience or you cultivate a specific vibe. And I don't know humor. I don't know why people don't think of it. Yeah, I, I don't know. Long answer. Yeah, well, I mean, you have to think about it in terms of a store. There, there are certain stores that 
uh, are really nerdy about comics and and seeing new things. And then there are other stores that that are nerdy about comics in a different way, and that they love comics, but you know they they play they love what they love, right? So right. I'd rather order three more copies of of a Batman title exactly. than three copies of this humor book that might not sell and, right. and, and would be, be a loss. Exactly. Yeah. Which makes total sense. I mean, that's how our market is bizarrely structured, and it, it, you know, it makes total sense. I mean, that's risk for a store to try anything new. It's a risk, and it's a safe bet to to try what they know sells. Like known creators and known properties is is much safer for a store, um, especially if a store doesn't doesn't have much money to play with, which most stores don't. Um, so. So yeah, I mean that's 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 another reason why I can sell sell directly to my readers. Whereas when I'm working on a book for Image, like Curse Words, I realize the connection that people have with their store owners is usually very strong. And if a store backs something and and says to the the customers, read this, that is that is your best ally Absolutely. in this fight. Absolutely, like more than a super fan who buys all my books, going to the store and pre-ordering it. If I get a store owner to to like it, because you know we've all been going to comic stores our entire life. You go in on Wednesday, you know what's new. They have like a a book they'll have up on the counter, maybe that this is the recommended reading, and you buy it because you, you trust them. And that's like a wonderful thing about comic stores, um, and that the the people the store owners who are active and read things and try things out. They can sell whatever they want, it seems, by just having that good connection with their their readers. So if they if they want to buy, I don't know, like Jim Rugg's Street Angel. You know, you, you want to get a Street Angel collection. Maybe not a lot of people know about it. It's a great comic. If you have a good connection with your, your fan base, you could order 20 copies. And then when everyone comes in, you say, you should check this out. It's awesome. And then that's, that's, that's great for Jim. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. No, and also great for the store. And again, uh, they're tastemakers, and that's yeah. that's good. And no, you're right about that. I think people do kind of trust. It's like, yeah, trust your doctor, trust your trust your comic book uh, retailer. Yeah. Usually, yeah. No, and uh, you do. You go in, you go into their store because you like their taste. Yeah. So I, I, th- I think you're yeah. right about that. Definitely, man. All right, let's stick around now because I know one thing that <laughs> I have to thank you for is uh, the 2016, uh, amidst all the hell freezes over terrible things that have happened this year, the one good thing, especially for me as being a Cub fan, that the Cubs did win the World Series. And it was very funny because you and I were coming back from the, the New York Con, and I was telling you that I hadn't been watching the early rounds of the playoffs because I really was like, I, you know, if I watch, they'll lose. And you'll have to forgive me because obviously, and you know, the Tigers have had their stretches of tough years as well. But yeah, I was just like, you know, I mean, just teased by 2003 and the 80s, the twice in the 80s, once in the 90s, you know, and and, and just the failures of the early 2000s. And really, you know, just even letting myself, you know, they got Lou Piniella, man. He's a hell of a manager. You know, I see they had him in the early 2000s. But yeah, I was just, and I was kind of paying attention this year. And I'm like, you know something? Win, and you know, I'll I'll probably check in, probably if they make it to the the championship series, the league series for the pennant. Mm-hmm. But no, I'm really glad because then I did start watching with the uh, with the Giants, and you you convinced me. Did you do what I said in terms of the DVR? 
Because really, you just pause it for 10 minutes, <laughs> and you know that it, it's already happened. So you watching it has nothing to do with it. <laughs> That's true. But also, I could get out get all the uh, crappy, like, you know, when nothing happens, and it's three up, three down innings, and just buzz through those, or a really long at bat, sure. which looks just as satisfying on fast forward for me <laughs> than it, do, it does, you know, for the five minutes that the guy's really, man, he's really digging in. Yeah. He's really, man, you got to, I mean, I don't know how play-by-play guys, you know, I come from sports radio, and I don't, I, I used to tell guys like Hawk Harrelson and stuff, when you're stuck in that situation, I don't know how you just, like, yeah. keep coming up with stuff to talk about. And, ah, shaky, do it for that long, I'll tell you. Comes natural, you know? And I, you know, he's like, you know, you always got stats, you always got things to talk about. And, you know, that's why the beauty of, of uh, the great Hawk Harrelson, you know. <laughs> I love that guy. He's always got stuff to say. He's funny. He's yeah. a, He's a good guy. I I like him. He's always he's always been very nice to me. Yeah. And and in your town, I told you one guy who I loved was Ernie Harwell. Oh, absolutely. He could yeah. not. What a sweet man. Yeah. I mean, truly. Well, baseball is 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 the conversational sport, right? Uh, it's slow and deliberate at times, and exciting yes. at other times. Uh, but it's it's history is so important. The storytelling is so important in it that. Then more than any sport, it really matters who the broadcasts are. Broadcasters are. Yes, it's super important. Um, and you know, you can like the personalities in other sports, but in, in in baseball, there are long times where you have to hang out with these people like they're your friends. Well, yeah, and, it's and, a four and, hour, especially <laughs> now. It's a four hour game. Yeah, man. <laughs> yeah, and and that's why and radio works so well for baseball as well. Um, you know, my, my life is a lot better during baseball season. I'm very, I'm like, that's very obvious to me, uh, because baseball, there's games on all the time and it's a perfect thing to work to, you know, sure. because you listen, I listen on the radio almost always. And, and you're, I'm just hanging out with some people while I'm drawing. And it's, it's really a, a fantastic thing to be into. Um, and it's also, it's also weird being in, an artist who's into sports, because, uh, you know, you grow up being the nerd that everyone makes fun of. <laughs> and then you think you're in a safe zone as an adult. And then uh, in your nerd community, everyone makes fun of you for liking sports. I know. <laughs> the table's like, turned. You're you right. You can't win, man. You can't win. Is that a sports yeah, thing? It's like, yeah, yeah sports. Uh, like, and I'm like, yeah, I know. I know. It is stupid. I understand. It's just competition. I don't know. No, it's, it's fun. Yeah. Competition is fun. And I... You know, I hey man, believe me, I've suffered enough losing Chicago seasons, and also uh, having to do it as my profession for 16 years. It was nice, as I told you. That's another reason why it's nice to check out and just if I feel like watching a game, I watch a game or I listen to a game, and I don't worry about you know where they are in the standings. And it's just, are you going to win today? Yeah. If you can win today, that's great. And if you don't, that's okay too. And I can appreciate just the the single competition. But no, I, you know, I can't deny that the Cubs were great. Although everything you said that's nice about the the storytelling of sports casting and stuff, I got to tell you, and maybe this is old man me, you know, kind of showing just the level of broadcasters. I mean, isn't it ironic that the Cubs help uh, the Dodgers out the door uh, and unfortunately, you know, give Vin Scully a losing seat, you know, ultimately a, a, a tougher season to go through than obviously if they had won the championship. Sure. And I saw those hashtags too, win for Vin. Yeah. And right. it's like, yeah, back. And, and I love Vin Scully. I sure. love Vin Scully. And also, we're, we're lucky because the Major League Network on cable will run Vin Scully play by play. Mm -hmm. And I know that the Dodgers have some sort of weird cable deal as some big cities do where no, it's really like you can't 
<laughs> you know, unless you live in a certain area or are willing to pay a really lot of money, you can't watch the games. Yeah. You have to go to the games or listen to the radio to get them and everything. Right. So luckily they were giving us the, that posh feed. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you know, invariably a late game was going to be a Dodger game and a Vince Scully game. So yeah. Yeah. It was nice this year here in here Vin. He's still got it. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It's crazy that he still has it. Oh, it is 67 years in, yeah. in broadcasting. Jesus. I mean, it goes back to literally when the Dodgers were in Brooklyn. We're in Brooklyn. Yeah. I can tell you about Ebbets Field because yeah. he was there. See, that stuff's so fascinating to me. I, agree. I, I love American history, and I love uh, stats, and, and uh, I, I just love the drama of the game. Like, those are all things that, that I really feed off of, and, I, and I, the older I get, the more I love it. The more into I, it I am. No, I understand. Um, yeah. And, you know, it just, it, it's like, if I could do it all over again, I would be in a, in a, in a, some sort of office for some baseball team at some, in oh, some capacity. Fun. Well, and I always say if I were to ever go back to sports radio, I'd like to do sports documentary. Yeah. I wouldn't want to do um, the day-to-day game stuff because it just, it's a grind. It also, it, every season does kind of, after a while, feel like the, the same season, except for those incredible Magic moments that sometimes only happen once in twenty years, let alone ten years. Yeah, and it's 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 a little bit of a life lesson being such an intense sports fan because you care about all these people that really you have nothing to do with, and maybe you wouldn't even get along with in real life. But every single season, except for one team, ends in in really upsetting defeat. Yeah, and that's like I've watched. Like, the Tigers won the World Series in 84, and I was too young to remember that. Okay. So I watched my team lose in the World Series twice. Never seen them win. Um, and yet I still get excited every year. And then every year I get really pissed off and wonder why I care so much about this stuff. It's a really, it's a really amazingly strange thing. Well, and I also think, unfortunately, I mean, again, I go back to when athletes were only making, you know, 50,000 was a great year and they had to have uh, off-season jobs. Yeah. And I came in at the tail end of that of I knew baseball players who worked at banks and hardware stores and things like that or just had jobs in the community. And like you were saying, I I think that's the unfortunate thing now as I get older is – there is a more of an impersonal relationship Mm -hmm. and, you know – And I've said this to you before, you know, from personal seat licenses to the high paid, you know, player that is, you know, God, look at LeBron. I mean, that's the thing. And it's so funny. You know, I I was part of the Jordan era. I saw him start and retire, uh, you know, and then obviously he did come back later with the bullets, but or the bullets, the wizards. Showing my age, yeah, sure. <laughs> the Washington Bullets, uh, but no, you know, I mean, can they, you imagine? Can you believe they were ever called the Bullets? <laughs> you know, it was again. Hey, man, we used to play Army in the streets, so yeah, really, no, it, 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 no, it does, but it. at different times, man. Yeah. So, but yeah, you know, it's uh, again, LeBron. You know, Cleveland loves him, but of course, he's happy to go to Miami, and then they welcome him back, and of course, sure. they welcome him yeah, back. Sure. But I also, I don't know. There's part of me that I'm like, yeah, I don't know. I'm not as forgiving or. Um, they're, like I said, I mean, I, I, I really appreciated this Cub team from the World Series and stuff and or this entire year. And it was fun to watch them play because they really did play as a team. That was the other great thing yeah. was you really felt like 
it was a, a, t- a legitimate team effort and everything. You know, it was really Jordan and Pippen and then the sure. role players well, of the Bulls. You know, that's basketball. That's the difference right. between basketball and baseball is that you can have three great players and then your team is amazing. Yep. Uh, whereas that you can have the Cy Young winner and your team finishes in last place. Yeah, man. You know? Absolutely. <laughs> so so that, that, the, the dynamic, all the moving pieces are, is so fascinating to me. Um, and, you know, the Cubs... The Cubs of Theo Epstein was was building, drafting off of character as well as ability. Um, and that's why there are so many likable players that perform so well. And then obviously having Joe Madden, one of the most interesting men in the world, be, be your manager was very helpful. <laughs> he is the most interesting but, I would agree with. But, uh, but, it's, but then you just you stop and you realize that you're rooting for a uniform well, that, and like exactly. a history. You yes. know? And, and, yeah. and all these players could be replaced with other players, and then you have to root for players that you didn't like before, and now you do like them. Well, and, an, <laughs> so and, a, and, a, and an organization that had a little bit more vested in its city, but they can easily not only can an athlete leave, but a team, an entire team, could be like, hey, you know, something. Uh, we're getting a better offer from, uh, you know, whatever Scottsdale, yeah. so we're going to move to Scottsdale now. Yeah. I mean, and 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 just also the the held for ransom. I mean, I, I love real sports, the HBO show, mm-hmm. and man, you hear about some of these stadium deals now, yeah. and and just the real. Funding behind him and stuff, and yeah, it's just it's it's a much. I mean, it always was. I mean, we have rose-colored glasses, and but I mean, going back to Charles Comiskey and the Black Sox scandal. I mean, there's yeah. always been corrupt business going on with oh, with sports teams and oh, stuff, yeah. but it's just more blatant now. And and again, this kind of indifference of. Yeah, you know, if you you know, if a family can't afford to go to the ballpark, that's okay. We got executive boxes that corporate boxes that'll be held. You know. Yeah. Be filled and everything will be fine. Anyway, yeah, blah blah. I, I I see it as the same thing, like being being a diehard Tigers fan is like the same thing as being a diehard Batman fan. You know, it's like there are creative teams that you don't like, but you still buy it and you still read it. <laughs> you know, you still go see the Batman Superman movie, even though you know what's going to happen. <laughs> you know, like it's the same thing with with rooting for a sports team. It's it's the same same idea, except you're rooting for uh, jocks who were probably mean to you in high school. That's you hilarious. Know? That's <laughs> awesome. All right, now, and because I did, now that it's the end of the year, I kind of want to do, like, uh, what were the movies or, or TV or whatever pop culture was, like, really surprised you this year. What did what did you like and what didn't you like? Uh, I don't think I liked anything. Really? Not, Is that not bad? A, Stranger Things? Uh, it was okay. Oh, it was interesting. Really, it really, interesting. I mean, the nostalgia hits really heavy, but I don't think that there was much to it beyond it, which is which I was really into it and really enjoying it. And then when when there weren't really any surprises to the story and, and or any really unique moves to it, it was just it was so much nostalgia. And that seems to be like a big thing that people get really into now. And I, I get I get into it too. Like, sure, I got I was so excited for the last Star Wars movie and. And I was smiling through the whole movie, and then afterwards, I was like, "Man, that what that, that really actually wasn't very good. Oh, funny. It just was very similar to all these things I love, and 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 like the Stranger Things had the same appeal to me. Like, am I excited for season two? Not really. Well, that's what but, I was going to say. But I like I like the way it looked and sounded, and I liked little kids in danger, Goonie style. You know, like that yes. stuff that I. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Stuff that's that funny. I love. Goonie style, uh, hilarious. Yeah, watch it. Watch Goonies after watching Stranger Things, <laughs> and you're like, oh my gosh, I was. Just... <laughs> 
This is pretty shameless. That's they, very they funny. Really, this is so shameless. See, I was too. I, I was already in college when, or yeah, I think I probably was in college when, or or late teens when uh, the Goonies came out. So I don't have yeah. that kids. There's kind of even love a for it. there's even a Barb character in Goonies. You know, <laughs> it's like oh my gosh, is that Martha Plimpton's friend? Uh, yeah, with the, like the glasses. And yeah, the, yeah, yeah. I that's mean, it's true. Just that's like, hilarious. Like wow, this is the you know the older brother and just I mean. It's crazy. Well, that's true, and I mean, I, yeah, I felt that Lost Boys kind of feel to it as well. Yeah, oh, absolutely, Lost so. Boys, and you know, uh, just that 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 Steven Spielberg kind of little oh, yeah. kids, little kids in serious danger kind of movies that uh, incredible adventures that the adults don't understand how great these adventures, how serious these adventures are. You know, I said. It's that same idea. Absolutely. No, I, that's fair. I, I like Kaiju Max. That was my favorite thing oh, that's of awesome. the year. I love Kaiju Max. Excellent, man. I wish everyone was reading it. I, I hear oh, you. Man, that book that, is so smart. You know, yeah, man. And I'm and now I'm blanking. Damn it, it's the Minnesota. Uh, Xander Cannon. Yeah, Xander Cannon. Of course mm-hmm. it is, man. No, I talked to him about that. Yeah, Kaiju Max is very cool. It's all... Uh, it's uh, the Japanese monsters in prison, basically. Yeah, yeah. it's great. I mean, the connections that he draws are between uh, prison media, like prison movies and prison TV shows, and then giant monster tropes is just constantly smart and fun. That's very constantly fun. smart and fun. That that book is is the, my favorite comic I've read in a very long time. That's it's awesome. Fun and it's at times really heartbreaking and like. The the art style he's using is decently cartoonish, and when they first launched, uh, they had all these problems with backlash because people thought it was a kid's book. But it's a hard prison drama. It is for <laughs> sure. Everything that you'll see in Oz, you see I was in say, the HBO show Oz. Absolutely, man. <laughs> it's it's so. A genius! It's fantastic. That that uh, man, I loved it. I loved it. Uh, Fargo season two. That's the other thing that that's I cool. loved. That was fantastic. That's cool. that's my favorite TV show in a long time. Excellent. No, I like it. Very good, man. Well, dude, uh, congrats and uh, looking forward to Curse Words getting started. You guys were nice enough to give me the first issue. It looks great, and uh, it comes out early January, mid January. Uh, January eighteenth. Okay. Which is uh, you know right before. Our world possibly changes a lot. <laughs> ah, yes, indeed. So. I know. I know. Actually, I was proud of us. We we managed to get through a, through an interview and not talk about the impending doom. Yeah. Well, so uh, we'll see. The only thing you can do is be optimistic at this point. You well, got hope. Interesting times uh, usually uh, breeds uh, interesting fiction and and uh, storytelling. And I certainly wish no ill on anyone. But then again. Uh, it's funny because I, Mark Miller actually made the point that the '90s. He's like, you know, things kind of got a little flabby in the '90s because everything was kind of safe and we were living in a safer world, and maybe people were kind of taking it easy or whatever. And it's like, well, the, you know, the the numbers kind of line up where he's not necessarily wrong. I mean, you had preacher and you had a few exceptions, but there really was a lot of crap. Yeah, and then, you know, I mean, so now it is nice that. You know, <laughs> We're all scared out of our minds and dancing as fast as we can to make something interesting. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's the only byproduct. That's the only happy byproduct I can come up. With. I know. Well, let's hope. I'll just get lost in baseball again. There you go. <laughs> there you go, man. No, great seeing you, Ryan. Thanks a lot. Cool. Thanks so much. It was fun.
There you go, Ryan Brown and Mark Andreco. Happy to share those uh, conversations with you on today's Word Balloon. More coming up before Christmas. I, I just have uh, the stocking is full, and I want to share all the presents because uh, great conversations that are uh, time sensitive, and I want to get them out there uh, while the holiday is still fresh. So uh, be looking for another Word Balloon uh, very shortly this week. And I hope you enjoyed today's thing. Again, uh, do us a favor and uh, support Love is Love. It comes out next week, uh, December 28th, for our, uh, from your local comic stores and online from Comixology. And um, there are digital extras, as I said. And it sounds like a great anthology for a great cause. It's only nine ninety nine. The proceeds go to support uh, the victims and their survivors of uh, the Orlando shootings. And I think uh, it's a worthy cause, and I'm glad to support it with a commercial-free episode and maybe point your dollars that way uh, to uh, support this wonderful cause. Thanks again for listening to Word Balloon today. And uh, as I said, more coming up, so stick around. Until next time, Word Balloon is a copyright feature of Shaky Productions, copyright 2016.